I thought he was asking if I was going to stand. I was, <laughs> hope so. Uh, through most of it anyway. So um, a, a few months ago, uh, Mike Jones uh, reminded me of something I said several years ago. Uh, he said that uh, he remembered me saying uh, if uh, he, I asked him if he believed that people in the congregation understood how blessed they are uh, being members of this congregation. And, and I, 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 the more that I talk to more of you, uh, the more I'm finding out that's true. And, uh, but it's easy because it's obvious. If you, if you look around and you see people uh, that are here every Wednesday night serving, cooking, helping, teaching, if you look on Sunday morning and before Sunday morning starts and people are gathering to pray and people are behind the scenes doing all sorts of stuff, uh, faithful, loving uh, people that I'm very thankful for. So thank you for that. Um, so <laughs> uh, I tested uh, these first two slides on people at work, on my employees, so they have to, they have to listen to me. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, you know, the, the challenge for us uh, is to uh, focus through all the noise. And there's a ton of noise. And uh, we carry noise now in our smartphones 24-7 now. And it's really uh, making it hard for God's message, I think, to, to be clearly uh, uh, communicated to us. And, uh, and the, the other problem is it seems like uh, we hear things repeated over and over again, and uh, pretty soon they become true to a lot of people. And uh, I know some of you are, as my employees did, are going to uh, kind of be surprised that these things aren't in the Bible, uh, but uh, they got over it. You'll get over it too. <laughs> um, uh, the first one's kind of obvious. Uh, cleanliness is uh, next to the godliness, not in the Bible. Uh, this too shall pass, not in the Bible. Uh, God helps those who help themselves. And, and I, uh, in this, this next line, I was supposed to not keep in the slide. That's my own notes. Uh, <laughs> so God, it's God helps those who help themselves. What about, I, always, I thought right away, what about widows and orphans? Uh, anyway, uh, number four, spare the rod, spoil the child. Uh, spare, should have been. <laughs> There's a lot of things that should have been. You know, like uh, Bruce Burnham would have said, uh, "This dog don't hunt." That may, they, you know, that could have been in there. Uh, God works in mysterious ways, uh, maybe, but it's not in the Bible. Uh, God won't give you more than you can handle. That's a that, that is said a lot. Uh, I'm not sure Paul would agree with that because he said in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 1, he said, we were under such great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. So uh, anyway, uh, the next slide uh, has got three more. Uh, first one, a man is justified by faith alone. Uh, that is not exactly in the Bible either. Uh, the next one, uh, the sinner's prayer, it's communicated a lot out there in the Christian world, but it is not in the Bible. 
And then today's topic is uh, that baptism is a picture or a symbol uh, or an outward expression of an inner fill-in-the-blank. Not in the Bible. And uh, I have a big problem with, with number nine. Uh, and the reason I have a big problem with it is because if I am Satan, uh, I'm going to push an agenda that is focused around uh, confusing people on how they become Christians. So if I can stop them at the door, that's a huge battle that I've won. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, but one of the ways I want you to, <laughs> I'm just going to start you thinking about this idea that uh, baptism is a picture and why that's wrong is uh, myself and my team, we uh, volunteer once in a while. Uh, usually it's some, with some organization that has uh, to do with seniors. And uh, so uh, one of them said, well, why don't we volunteer uh, at a uh, soup kitchen or a place that uh, uh, serves food, and I, and I said, well, we don't even have to do that. We just, we just make a bunch of copies of a picture of food, and we just go hand them out to people. And a picture, baptism is a picture, uh, it's just not the same thing as the real food. And so, uh, that's to me, there's a huge difference between how the Bible talks about baptism and that idea that baptism is a picture. So, uh, the other thing about a picture is, think about it, a picture is two-dimensional. And uh, something two-dimensional not, was not intended for you to consume. Uh, some of you have tried, but it's not, not going to work. And uh, so, Let's look at First uh, Peter chapter three, and we'll start talking to what, about what the Bible says. Now, I took this passage out of the New King James uh, version uh, for a reason, because it is the closest text that I could find to the original Greek. So let's just let me just read it, and we'll read it together uh, this morning. Um, and it says, "For Christ also suffered once for sins." the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of flesh from the of uh, filth from the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone to heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to Him. And uh, so, this text sounds like a lot of stuff going on. There is absolutely a lot of stuff going on, and I'm going to do something this morning. Uh, kind of different. I am going to start at the bottom of the text and work my way up. Okay. 
Uh, so the first thing that I want to talk about is the last phrase about baptism, and that is uh, that it's baptism saves us through the resurrection. Now, where did that idea come from? And is, is that idea something that we need to understand? And I say that is absolutely the foundation of baptism. Without the resurrection, baptism is absolutely nothing meaningless but uh, a quick dip in the pool. So where did it come from? So if we look at yes, uh, the next slide, sorry. Uh, what did Jesus say about the word baptism? Uh, so we look at Matthew chapter 3. Uh, Jesus replied, uh, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. Now, uh, in all the pros and cons about baptism, arguments, uh, debates, uh, for some reason this phrase is ignored, all righteousness, uh, and it is the crux of the issue. Uh, because he didn't say righteousness, he said all righteousness. He didn't say me, he said us. And uh, what does it mean when we talk about righteousness, and especially all righteousness, and what is it? Well, the only place all, all righteousness is found is in God. And what does it mean? It's just three things that is everything. God's faithfulness, right? Uh, God's truthfulness, and God's justice. And that is right, the crux of the, the center of righteousness and Jesus is telling John, we have to do this for God's, all of God's faithfulness, all of his truthfulness, and all of his justice. This has to be done. Has to be. And so, Jesus' 100% obedience to the entirety, all righteousness, to the entirety of God's will is what's happening here. Jesus was 100% obedient to 100% of God's will. This is his mission, was to bring God's will in living form to us here on the planet. Uh, and that uh, will, that plan, some places in the New Testament, Paul calls it the mystery, uh, was hidden for a long time and now revealed to the Messiah Jesus Christ, and so he is the living will of God. Now, a picture can't do that. A picture can't do truthfulness, faithfulness, and justice. Just that ain't going to happen, right? Uh, a two-dimensional thing can't do that. Uh, a two-dimensional thing that's not animated, another not, that's not living can't do that. God had an intent uh, to save us, and he did it through his living word, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Uh, all right, so uh, you look at the next two passages, uh, and uh, what does Jesus say about the word baptism? Uh, so in uh, uh, Mark chapter 10, a uh, couple of disciples are, are uh, asking him to do something for them, and he says, uh, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. And then Luke uh, chapter 12, he said, But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. 
And what is he talking about when he uses the word baptism in those two verses? Well, we absolutely know what that is. He is talking about what's going to happen to him that will lead to his death and then his resurrection and, and then his completion of his mission. That's what he's talking about. And he refers to that, his mission, being completed as a baptism. So the connection with resurrection and baptism, Jesus made. Uh, clarified by Paul and Peter in, in other books of the New Testament, but Jesus put those two things together. So uh, one of the things that uh, the idea that baptism as a picture springs out of is people talking about it being a physical thing, not a spiritual thing. And that's so bizarre uh, to me, so, such strange thinking for a lot of reasons. I mean, uh, when Jesus was resurrected, was he a spirit? No, I mean, he, they touched him. He ate meals with them. He appeared to them. Uh, if he was not resurrected physically, there's no reason for baptism. There's no reason for us to be here this morning. Uh, we don't have that connection to his resurrection uh, that will lead to our resurrection. Uh, it doesn't mean anything. So, yes, Jesus was physically baptized, but he was also physically crucified. He was also physically resurrected. But those have spiritual, permanent, heavenly, God will, God righteousness meanings and truth and reality behind them and you can't separate spirit and physical. Can't do it. Uh, so, uh, let's move on. Uh, so, the, the next thing I want to talk about is the phrase further up from the bottom which is the phrase that says that baptism is an answer of a good conscience toward God. What does that mean? And uh, Bob in class this morning said that the Bible explains itself, and that's what I'm doing here. I'm letting the Bible tell us what these things mean. So what does the Bible tell us about this good conscience? And so in Hebrews 9... Uh, it says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, uh, cleanse our consciences, consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? And then uh, in the next chapter, Hebrews 10, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance uh, that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. So, one of the things that should jump out at you is if you're thinking about uh, John baptizing Jesus, and you're thinking about these verses, and you're thinking about our own baptism, what should just scream out at you is that in all these cases, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are present. The Trinity is present at Jesus' baptism. The Trinity is present at our baptism. And uh, so this thing about our conscience being made right so that we can now be presented to God uh, in a presentable way that he has required 
uh, now uh, in this new form that we have uh, through our baptism, through the Holy Spirit, now we can covenant with him. Now we can uh, be called his child. Uh, Now we can serve him. Now we can be in his presence. So that's where this whole idea of a good conscience toward God uh, comes from. All right. Now for the tough part. All right. (laughs) Uh, Next slide. So, uh, in the Bible, there are a couple of things that God has used as tools to help to try to get through our thick skulls. And uh, that is the whole idea of... uh, Next slide. Oh, I'm sorry. You're at the right slide. Uh, I just can't see. Uh, That's the whole idea of types and antitypes. Now, what is a type? Well, uh, the Greek word type means to strike, to make an impression. Uh, And uh, the New Testament calls these types copies and shadows. Uh, uh, So don't forget, making the impression and imprint is an important part of what I'm talking about. Now, if I took a picture of you uh, with my uh, iPhone, like some of you do every day, uh, is there an imprint? No, it's just a two-dimensional thing. Uh, But when we're talking about types, they're actually imprints. They go beyond the surface. Antitypes, what are antitypes? The antitype is what makes the impression. It's the actual object that strikes the medium. Now, the medium could be paper, uh, it could be uh, wax, it could be uh, clay. Uh, If we think of it as paper, then we might think of uh, an old manual typewriter. Uh, And, uh, I don't know, this new generation, they, they they can't read an analog clock. But let me explain a little bit about a manual typewriter. So a manual typewriter has 44 uh, uh, arms. Depress the key, the arm strikes uh, the paper and makes an imprint. And on each of those arms is two symbols. So you have uppercase and lowercase. So there's 88 different symbols that can make an impression on the paper. And when, we, when we're doing that, it's called type, typing, type. The anti-type, what strikes the paper, that's the arm. That's the, the, the piece of the typewriter that carries the symbol. So now we're getting an idea how an imprint is made. Now, in the time of Jesus, uh, seals were used all the time uh, by wealthy people, by uh, moneylenders, uh, by people in power. So when it says, uh, when Jesus died, he was buried in the tomb, and the stone was rolled on it, and the seal was put on it, and whose seal was that? Pilate's, right? His seal of authority. And how did that work? Well, they probably rolled a stone over the face of the tomb, and they probably applied uh, a cast of... Uh, plaster or clay, and in that clay, while it was still malleable, the seal of Pilate was put on there. And if you broke that seal, then you were subject to punishment for breaking his seal. So 
uh, in the Middle Ages, it became uh, pretty common for uh, seals to be used. Uh, if I wrote somebody a letter or a scroll, seal it with wax, put an imprint on there, and that way you knew nobody read your mail because the seal hadn't been bro- the wax hadn't been broken. But that wax didn't come into play until the, the Middle Ages. Uh, but now we're getting an idea about types and anti-types. So that the type is a, it is a copy, a copy, an imprint of what is the original, the anti-type. Now, notice in the scripture that we read uh, that uh, Peter refers to baptism as an anti-type that saves us. So, uh, that's powerful. Uh, because uh, the let's take an, ex- uh, an example from Jesus. Uh, the New Testament refers to him as God's lamb, the lamb of God. Why? Because the Passover lamb was sacrificed for sin. He being the lamb of God was sacrificed one for all of us. And so that Passover lamb, those thousands, probably millions of lambs sacrificed to Passover, those were types of the real thing, the heavenly thing, the Messiah. So type, Passover lamb, anti-type, Christ. Okay? And so let's talk about um, other types and anti-types in the scriptures. So the next slide. Yeah, I know I have my glasses in my pocket. They're not going to help. So Hebrews 8. Uh, What I have done is, on the slide, I have put in blue uh, the uh, type and in red, the anti-type. So let's talk about this a little bit. You'll see the high priest that, uh, that is now at the, at the uh, right hand of the throne of, uh, in he- of the majesty. That's Jesus, and he is the anti-type. He is in the true tabernacle set up by God. Anti-type was not made by a pure human being because that would be a type. Every high priest, that is the priest that served in the temple, they were types of what? Christ, right? Uh, because they, they, did, this, they uh, did the function of the, the sacrifices. Where did they serve? They served in a sanctuary that is a copy of the, uh, a copy and a shadow of the real one in heaven where Christ serves. The tabernacle was built and they built it according to a set of plans that came from heaven. Okay? So we have type and anti-type. Next slide. Hebrews 9. All right, so the copies of the heavenly things, these are, these are the real things in heaven, uh, were purified with blood, with the sacrifices. Christ was an anti-type. The copies were here on the planet to help get through our thick skulls what God was trying to do in his entire plan of salvation. So the sanctuary made with human hands was only a copy of the true one. That was a type. He, Christ, uh, in heaven itself, that is the anti-type, the true, the real, original thing. 
The copies are here on the planet. Some of them constructed by man by following God's direction. All right, the next slide. We see that in Ephesians 2, uh, Paul is talking about uh, us, the uncircumcised. We are called the uncircumcised by the people who were called the circumcision. Those were types. Why? Because circumcision was done by human hands. But in Colossians 2, uh, Paul says, And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. That's an antitype. In the removal of, uh, of the body of the flesh by uh, the circumcision of Christ. Antitype. Having buried with him in baptism. Antitype. In which you were also raised up with him uh, through faith in the working of God. Ah, there's the difference. Antitypes are the working of God. Antitypes are God's work. Baptism, an antitype, is God's work, not ours. Now, why, why do we get in there and baptize somebody so they won't drown? We've got to get them back up. That's what God intended. He's not, I'm not the one doing the work. He's doing all the work in baptism. I'm supposed to stop them from drowning. That's it. Uh, okay. Next slide. Uh, the end of uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 10, verse 2. Uh, he's talking about when Israel was released uh, in Egypt from slavery and what happened. He said, All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. Wow type, right? Um, and then in 1 Peter 3, again, I'm going backwards up, up, up chapter 3 of 1 Peter, uh, the eight souls that were saved through water, Noah and his family, that was a type. The anti-type now saves us, baptism, the one from heaven, the one all antitypes, including baptism, are pillars in God's redemptive plan. These are the things He created. These are, these are His works. These are what He intended for us uh, to have to be able to come back to Him, to be called His children again, to not be orphans running around out there on the planet anymore, uh, to pull us close to Him. Uh, so all these types in the Old Testament, I'm just... I'm not even touching the surface of the types. These are markers that God placed throughout history that point to the antitypes that are part of his redemptive plan. He kept putting things out there for us to see and touch and experience so that when the real thing came, we would say, ah, okay, I get it. Uh, and so he's doing everything he can to get, get the message in our thick skulls, visually, emotionally, uh, physically, spiritually. All these markers that he set up over time point to the things that are the real reality from heaven that he's expecting us to take a hold of and become his children. Uh, so, baptism itself, uh, next slide, is God's way of sealing us 
and bringing us the Holy Spirit. And it, it's his antitype. It's the power and the weight of his hand on us, marking us, sealing us. How do I know that? Again, we have to go to the scripture to find out where these ideas come from. Because I didn't come up with them. Uh, all right, First Corinthians, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians uh, 1, verse 21 and 22. Now he also establishes with you in Christ, uh, um, he also established us with you in Christ and anointed us in God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance towards the redemption of God's own people to the praise of his glory. And then, and then finally, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. God is using baptism to accomplish these incredible spiritual things. You can't do that with a picture. You just can't do that with a picture. And it kills me that you have the majority of Christianity on the planet telling people that baptism is a picture. The Bible doesn't say that. It just doesn't say that. Uh, so, where does this leave us? Um, so, God has an antitype, a thing he made, a thing he uses called baptism. And he uses that to imprint on us, to mark us, to seal us with the Holy Spirit. Uh, all antitypes, including baptism, are critical parts of God's redemptive plan. Uh, God planted these types, these markers, that point to his, uh, his plan of salvation. Uh, in several places in the New Testament, especially in Romans, uh, Paul refers to this plan as a mystery because it was not revealed until the Messiah. And it was revealed in him and through him. So, baptism brings the weight of God's power and his authority uh, and his seal onto us. Baptism is a work of God. It's an integral part of uh, his redemptive plan for us. And uh, what's interesting to me is uh, uh, Acts chapter 2, a lot of people talk about uh, uh, baptism in Acts chapter 2. The problem is uh, we stop at the word baptism in Acts chapter 2 and we don't read the rest of the chapter uh, because it's critical what it says uh, at the end of that chapter. It says, and day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. It's the Lord saving you. It's not somebody baptizing you. The Lord is baptizing you. He is saving. He is adding you to the number of those being saved. He's doing it. It's His work. Uh, and when uh, uh, the, the teachers of the law, the chief priests, and, and the elders uh, challenged Jesus' authority, and they said, we want to know by what authority you are doing these things, and what did you say? He said, just answer a simple question for me. John's baptism. Was it from heaven 
or of human origin. Trapped him. But what we have just learned today in the scripture is it is not of human origin. Baptism is God created. God uses it. Uh, When Peter said, I know I baptized this person and this person and this person, but I'm glad I didn't baptize more. What was the problem? The problem is they were messing up the idea of baptism because they were saying, well, I was baptized by Paul. Well, I was baptized by Barnabas. That's irrelevant. They just made sure you didn't drown. God baptized you. So they were messing up the whole idea of baptism. Uh, So we need to get over that, get beyond that. Antitypes were from heaven. Baptism is an antitype. It's from heaven. So, you know, the question we have is, are we going to do what Jesus did Are we going to submit to God? Are we going to let his righteousness fall on us and be part of that plan? Uh, Are we going to humble ourselves? Are we going to allow him to place his seal, his image on us? Are we going to allow him to imprint us with the Holy Spirit? An imprint goes beyond the surface, in deep. Are we going to allow him to imprint us? Are we going to allow God to mark us as his possession to, uh, to show that we are now uh, under his ownership and his authority. Uh, because if we're not, because if we're not, then we're going to end up in the same exact place that uh, the people uh, that Noah preached to who didn't listen and were doomed, we're going to end up in that same place. We're going to be doomed. And you should be already thinking ahead of me here. You should be thinking, well, Noah, wait a minute. Hmm. He was a, he was a type of Christ. And uh, some commentators said, well, that may not be true because he wasn't a carpenter. He was a farmer. But if anybody knows who grew up on a farm or who visited a farm, are farmers carpenters? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and, uh, but what's, what's also interesting about this passage is you saw at the beginning where it said that, that he preached, that Jesus pre- uh, preached to souls in prison. And the commentators, they go that direction and they never come back to what this is all about. What this is all about is Noah preached to the same people. They died. Eight people were saved. Why? Because the ark. Jesus is the ark. We are in Him. We are preserved. We're saved. As a matter of fact, how do I know He's the ark? Because He is the new creation. He has the new creation in Him, in the ark, that will be saved and will... uh, uh, all its truth will be opened up in the new heavens and the new earth. He's, he's the ark now. We are in Him. We are looking for our salvation in Him. And so, uh, 
if you are visiting today and you're looking for a home church, I want you to consider this ark. Not this building. This ark. This body of Christ. That's the true ark. Right? The copy that Noah built. How long did it take him? I mean, it, the, the, the scripture says God was patiently waiting for that thing to be built. 75 to 120 years. That's why it says he was patiently waiting. Uh, but here you have the opportunity to come into an ark, the body of Christ, the serving body of Christ, and I'm inviting you today to come join us in this ark. Thank you.